You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. Thanks for joining us. My name is Erin Veltkamp, and I'm a member here at the Heights. We're going to spend time in God's Word together now. You can go ahead and be seated. Today's teaching comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. The large numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses in the Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to not just listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Aaron. Oh, I'll take that stand, actually. No problem. Um. Hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at the Heights. Um, one quick housekeeping thing is on August the 27th, it's a Sunday night. We have our uh, once a year, we do this twice a year, our member meeting, our member night right here. We do a little potluck. If you don't know what that is, you're in for a treat. We all bring a bunch of food. We have a bunch of food. Um, we take care of some insider uh, Heights member business. And so if you're a member or a member in process, we invite you to come be a part of that. It's going to be a special night. Uh, as we get together, we learn um, uh, uh, the direction of where our church is going, and we have some really fun time together. So be there that night. Now, um, I'm glad you're here this morning. We are right in the middle of, of a sermon series um, where we are working through the book of Galatians, specifically a few lines in one chapter of Galatians. Uh, but to bring you up to speed on where we've been for this year, um, we're in a year, a whole year of emphasis uh, of community. We're calling it Life Together. And uh, in this year, uh, we started out in uh, Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the template for what the church is for. Like, what is the beauty and the design of the church? And then we looked at 1 Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians for some time, and we're taking a break from that. And then we've seen the complete undoing of the Acts 2 template for the church, and we're taking this break, and we'll be back in 1 Corinthians here in the fall, but we're looking at the fruits of the Spirit, all of which are relational, and we're contrasting two ways. We're at a fork in the road with life. We're contrasting the way of the flesh versus the way of the Spirit. 
the way of the flesh being, the way of the spirit being uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which is contrasted with the way of the flesh, which could be summed up in many ways. There's 15 examples given in the text today, but really it boils down to selfishness. Selfishness. Now today we're going to zoom in on that fourth fruit, that fourth product of walking with the Spirit, which is patience. It's that virtue that we all want, but we can never seem to get our arms around. In fact, I've never met someone, if you would say that this is true of you, then you're probably not telling the truth, but I've never met someone that said, I I just wish I were less patient. You know, I'm just way too patient, right? No one ever says that. In fact, it's the opposite. And if we do think we're patient, like every now and again, we have these moments, these glimpses of like, I'm I'm a patient person, right? And and oftentimes, if if, if I think I'm patient, you know, it's like I'm sitting there, it's about 8.30 p.m., both of my kids are asleep, I'm in my living room, I've got an old Merle Haggard vinyl on my record player, and I'm like, I think I'm killing this patience thing, right? Like, look how patient I am. I'm so contemplative. Never mind the, like, chaos that was, like, an hour before in bedtime, you know? Like, if we think we're patient, we're probably measuring our patience by the wrong time, in the wrong environment the wrong moment, right, if we think we're patient. The question for us is not, am I patient when no one else is around and I'm getting to do the thing, the very thing that I love to do? That's not when we measure our patience. In fact, patience is measured by how we behave, how we respond, how we act in life's most challenging moments. And let me be clear, most of the things that we're struggling to be patient for are actually really good things. Like, the longings that we have, the desires we have are four good things. The problem is we want them now, not later. We want them now. That's where this intersects with patience. We want good things, we just want them now. And as I thought about this this week, I thought, how am I impatient? Very dangerous game to play, by the way. How am I impatient? And I I resolved that most of my impatience revolves around things that are are lines or similar to lines, okay? I'll give you some examples. Now, um, is this a safe place for me to be just a little vulnerable with you guys? I do not like I-25, okay? (laughs) Like, can we we talk about I-25 for a minute? (laughs) I-25 is, like, it's mind-numbing to me why I'm sitting and where I'm sitting for how long I'm sitting, okay? And then we talk about I-70. Now, let's not even get, especially west on I-70. Who has been west on I-70 in the last week? Yeah, yeah, mo- like most of the room, right? Like, if we can, just to get out of Denver, it feels like you're in quicksand, okay? This is the best way I can think about it. You're in quicksand, and the harder you fight and the harder you struggle, the more you sink, also, I don't know if it's because I grew up in the 90s. I have, an, I have a fear of quicksand. I don't know if you guys share that fear. Like, I'm always worried about quicksand. Um, but, like, that's what getting out of town is like. And then if you can get past 470 Junction, you're like, all right, I'm in the open, baby. And then some bozo, like, nine miles ahead of you was texting. He then, like, realized he was texting. He slams on the brake, and then it's a ripple effect. And you're at Genesee Park, and you're like, why am I, seeing, why am I sitting here at Genesee Park? Right? Like, I told you, most of my problems involve lines of some sort. Well, then, while we're at it, who here has a Costco membership? Um, who, goes, who gets their gas at Costco? All right. All right. Can I just public service announcement? This is free, not even in my notes. 
the way the pumps were designed was for two people to get gas and then you both to leave and then two new people come up. Not like, well, the person in the front's taking forever, so this person goes around them and then someone pulls up and then this person has to go around. That's not how it was designed to go, all right? So if that's you, today's the day to change, okay? <laughs> and, 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 then, and then also, like, oh, I'm on it, guys. Okay, King Super's 10 item or less lines, okay? I love them, but if you're one of those people that rolls up with an entire cart and you're like, well, I'm fast, and you bog the line up and we're all like backed up into the freezer section, like, again, God loves us in our mess, but he loves us too much to leave us in our mess. Today's the day's change, all right? If you have more than 10 items, I'll give you 12, okay? You can take that line, but otherwise just, you know, follow suit. And then last one, while we're on traffic, the traffic control lights on 6th Avenue Park, Parkway, and, four, and 14th and 13th. You guys know what I'm talking about. I drive, those are the ones I drive most frequently. Half of Denver does not care about them. They're just like zooming past. The other care a lot about them, okay? I'm not going to tell you which camp I'm in, but I don't understand them. I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's like 5 a.m. I'm headed out of town, and I'm like sitting there at this red light. I'm like, I'm glad I'm helping control traffic right now. I think most of my problems, most of my impatience revolves and results from being in a hurry. We're, we're, we're just in a hurry in life. And I, you know, I give you some of those examples because they're funny and they're true and we're all like, yeah, yeah, that's me too. I'm in a hurry. I'm in, I'm in a hurry to go places and do things and accomplish things. And our, our patience isn't measured when we're killing it. Our patience is measured when it feels hard. Our patience is measured by the moments of life that challenge us the most. And, and many of us, we're waiting for good things in life. We're waiting for things that we should want. And our level of patience is measured by how we wait in the moment. Now, those are funny examples, but I know that for many of us in this room, we're, we're waiting for hard, we're in the middle of hard things that we're waiting for right now. And, and how we measure our patience isn't in the easy, Merle Haggard on the vinyl times, but it's measured by that I've been waiting for that promotion and I keep getting passed up over and over and my coworker who sits right next to me just got the job I was going for. It's measured by those moments in life. It's, our patience is, is measured by that I've been asking God for this fill in the blank, this thing. I've been asking God to take this thing away for two years and here I am, I'm still waiting. Or I'm single and I, I long to be married, and I've been waiting, and it just hasn't worked out. Or it's the life stage where your kids are testing your sanity, and you're like, is it going to be like this forever? Is this what parenting is? Is this what I've signed up for? And it's in those moments where we have to measure our patience. Am I a patient person? It's the financially stressful situation that you've been waiting for something to break in and, you're, and you just don't know what to do. All those are good things that we're wanting. But our level of patience is measured by how we behave, how we respond, how we act in the middle of those moments, how we feel our attitude towards them. It's measured relationally. It's measured by how people experience us when we're in the, excuse me, when we're in the middle of being challenged. And it feels like one of the hardest things, what feels like the hardest thing to do in that moment is to actually trust God. 
It feels like it's in that moment when it's the hardest to trust God because in every other moment, we're like, I'm killing it, I'm trusting God, look how patient I am. But then you're in the middle of whatever that thing is for you right now and you're like, I don't, even, I don't know if I can trust God. It grows harder and harder to trust that patience will actually pay off as time goes on. And it feels easier and easier to start looking for a shortcut and a settle, to settle for some false version of the real thing that God promised if we'll wait. And the world that we live in, it trains us. We're trained to think in a little more self-absorbed way. We're trained to think that the universe is here to bow to us. We're trained to think that everything is supposed to bring us immediate and instant pleasure and joy, instant gratification. And this morning, what, rather than us wrestling with the frustration that is that moment, that is that reality for us, I, I want to propose a better way from the Bible, from the New Testament. So that said, I want, the big idea for this morning is that we would be a people that are patient in an age of hurry. We're in a hurry. We're all in a hurry. To be a Westerner is to be in a hurry. Specifically, to be an American is to be in a hurry. To live in a metro area like Denver is to be in a hurry, even if it's for recreation. We're in a hurry. And so that said, we're going to look at Galatians 5. Kiana, thank you for reading that for us. Um, there's two ways present. We come to this fork in the road, and we have to grapple with which way are we going to go. Are we going to engage with the way of the flesh, or are we going to lean into the way of the Spirit? So the first thing we're going to see this morning is the way of the flesh, which is marked by impatience and hurry. Starting in verse 19, we just read this. You guys are familiar. This is our fourth fruit, but this is our fifth Sunday in the series. This is what Paul says. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're apparent. They're up front. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then our favorite line, and anything else that kind of smells like that. Anything similar. And I'm warning you about these things. These are the guardrail. This is Paul saying, listen, I'm, I'm warning you because these have a very specific destination, okay? I'm warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice, those who make a practice, that these are defining markers of your life. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here is what I want you to see as we look at this passage. That most of these fruits of the flesh... These products come from us obeying the inner thirst and desire of our hearts. They sprout from this impulse of impatience and ultimately hurry. We want good things. That's true of most of us. I think we all would say, like, what I long for is good, but I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. The works of the flesh are often shortcuts or, or really numbing mechanisms to the real thing. They're cheap alternatives of something real and good and beautiful that are settling for less than what God has for you. And looking at them through the lens of impatience, they're fruits of ultimately what is really under the, under the fruit is a, is a distrust towards God and His good intentions towards us. It's a bending in on self. It's a I'm taking my life for myself. So look with me at these fruits. They're really, it's a really exciting list. No, go back. It's a really exciting list. I want to zoom in on four of them. And what we, what we see is oftentimes they're a result uh, of impatience and a hurry. Let's, let's take sexual immorality. This is 
defined, we've defined this in several ways, that it's any sexual act or relationship outside the marital covenant of one man and one woman, meaning sex was intended, a good thing, intended for one place in the context of one good place that God created it for, and that anything outside of that one context for sex is actually a cheap shortcut to a false version of the real thing. Not even the real thing. I mean, pornography is like the, low, the lowest hanging fruit here. That like it is one click, instant gratification is one click away, but the problem is it's a, sol- it's a, it's a like, false cheap substitute of the real thing. It's not the real thing. We look at other examples of this, that some of those interpersonal fruits of the Spirit, jealousy, strife, hatreds, anger, selfish ambition. We look at outbursts of anger. We think about this for just a second. We have to ask the question, what's going on under the surface of my life that would result in an outburst of anger, right? Like what's happening inside of me? Ultimately, something didn't go or someone didn't act or say the thing that I wanted them to say, right? Which is ultimately operating from this perspective that everyone around me and everything around me is here to please me. And then when it goes against the grain of that, the only logical conclusion is that we explode like a volcano and we have this outburst of anger, right? It's relational. And we erupt like this volcano through this fit of anger. Some of your translations might say fit, a fit of anger. Or we take selfish ambitions. This is a hard one. This is the drive in life that above all else, relationally, vocationally, materialistically, we are centered on pleasing ourselves, period. Selfish ambition turns people and life's trials and obstacles and barriers and problems into things to conquer versus opportunities to grow and give. It's the desire to shortcut life to the destination that we think will give us the thing we're longing for, but ultimately can never deliver on that. When we look at this, the last one we'll, we'll take as an example, which is envy. This is a really ugly one. Envy is this impulsive craving for something someone else has, whether it be their a possession, a life stage, a, a relationship, a physical attribute. Fill in the blank. And, and it's the underlying craving, in this, it, this underlying craving, it's this impulsive desire to have something that someone else has either earned or cultivated or was given. But from our anger, angle, from our selfish angle, we look at their life and we think, I deserve it more than they do. Regardless of how patient they were for it. That's envy. So the question that we we really have to grapple with this morning, church family, is am I in a hurry? Am I in a hurry to shortcut the good things that God has for me and settle for something that's less than what he has? And how do I know? If I'm in a hurry, how do I know if I'm in a hurry? It's a hard thing to, to know. Am I in a hurry? Well, Thankfully, there's an author, his name's John Mark Comer. Some of you may have read his book. He has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he gives these 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. So he says, look at these symptoms. Do you exhibit these symptoms? If you do, you might be in a hurry in life. And here they are. We'll go ahead and put them up on the screen. And they are saucy. All right, I'm just going to tell you. They're going to get up in your business a little bit. If you can walk out of here 
and say, I don't, I don't have any of this going on in my heart. Number one, I want to meet you. And number two, I don't think you're telling the truth and being honest with yourself. So the first is, this is how we're going to evaluate ourselves. Irritability. Like, little things are, you, you sense that people tiptoe around your chronic, low-grade negativity. Is that you? Are you irritable? Are you hypersensitive? Minor affronts, comments, conflicts easily ruin your day. Ordinary problems have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being. Now, one of the things about these things, these are all relational. They're experienced. This is how people experience us, right? So what you may need to do is you may need to snap a picture of this and go to a, a close friend, a spouse, a family member and say, do you see this in me? You better be ready because they're going to say yes, right? Because we often can't see it ourselves, right? We're a little bit self-deceived. Hypersensitivity. Don't be hypersensitive to that person's feedback to you, all right? Number three, restlessness. When, when you actually do try to slow down and rest, you, you just can't relax. Quiet time with God is boring to you and you can't focus your attention on the presence of God. You feel an outgoing need an ongoing need for all kinds of excitement in life. Like, it's really hard to settle and just be. Or workaholism, this nonstop activity. You, you don't know when to slow down or even to stop. By the end of the day, you have nothing left to give to the people that are actually most important to you. Your spouse, your kids, your loved ones, your friends. Emotional numbness, you, you don't have the time or capacity for empathy. Sometimes you, you don't even feel your own emotions. You, you kind of walk through life in this emotional fatigue and fog. Or maybe for you, it's number six, outgoing, uh, out of order priorities. You, you feel disconnected from your identity in Christ and it's calling in your life. And everything in your life is very reactive. You, you're never proactive about who you want to be and how you want to prioritize things in your life. You're always reacting as life comes to you. You don't feel like you have the time to do the things that matter most to you. Or seven, lack of care of your physical body. This is a really important one. Our, body, our bodies tell us oftentimes what's going on. They give us warning signals. There's no time for the basics. You're not sleeping well, no daily exercise. You're not eating well. You you're, have little margin in your day. You, this is very vulnerable, but you're, you're gaining weight. You're feeling unwell. You get sick more than others. The four main food groups in your life are caffeine, sugar, carbs, and alcohol. That's a good sign. If those are your four main food groups, that's a good sign that you may not be taking care of your body. Or maybe escapist behaviors. This one's really, this one is dangerous. Turning your, distra your distractions of choice, like whether it be overeating or overdrinking or binge-watching shows or numbing to some type of media, whether that's social media, whether that's pornography, impulse buying. It's abusing the substances and abusing even good life experiences to escape. Or maybe for you it's a lack of discipline, spiritual disciplines in particular. Things that are the most important to your soul health are the first to go when you get pressed. They're the first things to go. The talking to God and reading the Bible and even showing up here on a Sunday morning and being a part of a community group. Things that lead to soul rest actually become effort and emotional energy and discipline and patience. And then number 10 is isolation. And not in isolation, maybe the way you think. It's this feeling disconnected from God and from others and from even your own soul. When you're with God 
or with friends, your mind is elsewhere. You're isolating yourself with busyness, other busyness. You're running down your to-do lists to make yourself feel distracted from being in the moment. It's isolation. Do, do any of those resonate with you? Like, do, do you feel that? I feel that as I was, it's like really hard for me to write and talk about this because I feel bits and pieces of all these in my own life. Does it feel like it's reading your mail a little bit? Because it did for me. If so, you might, you might be in a hurry in life. The way of the flesh is that of impatience and hurry, a rushed life, which never leads to the things that we're ultimately longing for. But here's the beautiful thing about Christianity. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus. Is that we don't have to pull ourselves up by our bootstrap and say, all right, I'm just going to be better. I'm going to quit being this way. I'm going to try harder. But rather, the beautiful thing of Christianity is there's a, an invitation to live a different way. There's an invitation, an outstretched hand of God to live a different way. A, a way that, that actually feels better and, and can be more satisfying and, and is life-giving moving forward. There's, a, there's hope for impatient, hurried people here. But it requires us not to focus less on being hurried or being focused more on being patient. But it, in, in fact, it requires that we take our eyes off of all that and put them in a different place altogether. That's, what, that's what's required. That's the way forward. And so as we come to this fork in the road, the way of the flesh, of impatience and hurried life, and the way of the spirit, a way marked by patience and joy, all the things that the fruit of the spirit all those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's the fork in the road that we're at now. And so the question is, what, what do we do with that? And so what I want to do is I want to propose a better way forward, a better way, the way of the Spirit, which is a way marked by patience. Now, I think it's really hard to define patience. It's very easy to recognize impatience, right? What's hard is like, what is patience? How, how do you measure patience? Like, how do you get it? How do you attain it? It's a virtue. How do you get it? I wish there was like, here's three steps to patience. To be a more patient husband, to be a more patient father, to be a more patient employee, to be a more patient friend. But that's not really what the Bible prescribes here. It's really easy to identify impatience, but what is patience? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. So what does that mean? Well, to define it, we're going to borrow a short, kind of punchy, odd definition of patience from the recently late Tim Keller. He says this, patience is the ability to take trouble. Life is full of trouble, okay? Whether that's inflicted by others or life. You guys know that. You don't need me to tell you that. All of you are here this morning and you've had trouble even this week. It's the ability to look at that trouble wherever it came from, regardless, and receive it without blowing up. You know, we, we think patience is this thing we lean into, and I think it's oftentimes, it's more of what we're not. We're not engaging in outbursts of anger or envy or any of these other works of the flesh, but it's to be able to engage with life's troubles and not blow up. The New Testament author, James, the brother of Jesus, he gives us this command. He says, be patient. And then he gives this amazing illustration. I'll, I'll put the, we'll put this on the screen. In James 5, verse 7, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
be patient until the, com- until the Lord's coming. You're like, okay, great. Cool. Like that, I'll do it. Deal. I didn't know I just needed, if I just needed to be told that. And then he gives this, he gives this like beautiful illustration that we have to look at. I'm going to acknowledge there's a fly flying around my face. So, so you know, I, I am kind of twitchy, but not that twitchy, okay? James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You're like, okay, cool. That's just what farmers do. It's like a thousand country songs about praying for rain. You know what I mean? In Oklahoma, specifically in Oklahoma. James tells us to, to look at how the farmer waits. He says, wait for the Lord. Be patient until he comes. And then he says, look, look at how the farmer waits. The, the farmer is actually the model for us in life. This is the metaphor for life. This illustration is for life. I want you to pay attention to what the, par- what the farmer doesn't do for a second. What does the farmer not do? Well, he doesn't sit and stare at the row of corn he just planted, right? He doesn't sit there and fixate on the orchard and say, I just want this fruit to grow. He, he doesn't do that. But he waits for something that's outside of his control to happen. That's what he does. He, he doesn't lose sight of what actually makes growth happen. Rather, he waits for something that he can't control. It's the rain. And so if we take Tim Keller's definition and lay that over this scenario right here, over this illustration, the farmer exhibits patience by not looking or fixating on the wrong things. He, he waits patiently through the drought, the troubles of life, and he doesn't blow up about it. Because ultimately what's undergirding his not blowing up about it is that he trusts in something that he can't control, but he's certain that it will happen. That's what's going on here. He doesn't lose his cool. He, he doesn't focus on the fruit. He, he focuses on who brings the fruit. What brings the fruit? The one who can control the rain ultimately. Now, if you're, you're here and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, Jonathan, I get that. That's, that's good. Like, I, I, that's what the Bible says. It sounds really good on a Sunday morning. I'm sitting here. I feel good anyways. I feel patient, you know. But you don't know what's going on in my life. I've got some real hard stuff I'm working through right now. Like, that sounds good coming from a pastor on a stage, but you don't understand what's going on in my life right now. My life is on the line. My career's on the line. My livelihood's on the line. And you're just telling me to sit back and look to the heavens for rain. You see, the farmer trusted something outside of himself. He trusted that God would bring the rain. And ultimately, that's the starting place for the fruit that then becomes patience. We think patience is a virtue that's earned by like meditation and focus and be like, okay, I'm going to be a more patient person. Think patient thoughts. But what the Bible tells us is that patience isn't earned in those moments. It's grown and cultivated in the hard moments of life. We look at patient people. I have a friend who, he's a mentor of mine. I've lost touch with him, but whenever I was in college, his name, was Joe, his name is Joe Mills. Most patient guy I've ever met, and that's because he'd been through the hardest things. He, I ad, admired his patience. And I think often like, all right, be like Joe Mills. But what Joe knew was that in the moment, 
in the hardships of parenting his three young daughters, in the hardships of a stressful job, in the hardships of a struggling marriage, the fruit of patience didn't come by focusing on patience. It came by trusting God in the middle of the waiting. And that's where the product, that's where the fruit of patience began to grow in his life. And I'm sitting here years after all that, seeing it and observing it, and I think, I just want to be like him, but I didn't want to go what he went through. Ultimately, the starting place for our patience is looking to God in the middle of whatever we find ourselves in. It's not for meditation or focus. It's a different way. It's, it's produced in the middle of whatever that thing is right now. It's in the action. Patience comes from in the middle of the action. It's whether we want to choose to see it that way or not. I wish I had three quick steps of becoming a more patient person. I'm sure you can, if you got on Amazon right now, you could find a book that said seven steps to being more patient or something. And I'm sure it's probably helpful. I wish I had some breathing methods and meditations for you. But the true fruit of patience is born from walking closely with God through life and particularly the hard things of life. And it, the reality is hard stuff finds us. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to say, I want to be more patient, so let me go try to get myself in a pickle. You know what I mean? No, like, if you live life long enough, it's hard. It finds us. We don't have to go looking for it. And reality is it finds us, and it's whether or not we'll walk with God through it. And the beauty of Christianity is that what God takes the hard stuff of life, and without a framework of the God of the Bible, the hard stuff of life is just suffering, senseless suffering. But through the framework of the, the New Testament, the hard stuff of life is actually being re rewinded in us and building something and actually producing something in us. We'll see that here in just a second. If we spend all of our time focusing on the fruit of patience, it's like the farmer spending all of his time cultivating the crop without rain. If we focus our time and our energy on walking close with the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, apprenticing ourselves under the person of Jesus, learning to trust God in the middle of the hard stuff, we'll find that on the other side of that is the fruit of patience. When we focus on the fruit, we'll never get it. When we focus on Jesus, it'll get produced in us, simply. So if you find yourself in a hurry in life, if you find yourself with a bad case of hurry sickness this morning. Look, we looked at it earlier. You're irritable, hypersensitive, restless, a workaholic, emotionally numb. Your priorities fell all out of order, not taking care of your physical body, exhibiting escapist behaviors, lacking spiritual disciplines, isolating yourself in busyness. It, it requires that we kind of step back from what we're up, up against right now, and we ask the question, ultimately, not do I want to be a patient person, am I a patient person, but at the end of the day, like, do I and do I want to trust God? Period. Like, like really, do I want to trust God? Because in our hurried state, we try to shortcut every good thing God has for us. I know because I've tried it. I do it. We rush into good things that God has for us and, and then we have a hard time waiting for them to come to fruition and then we end up settling for something less than. We think God has forgotten about us in our spot and then we feel like we have to take life into our own hands. 
And we, we just wind up settling for something that's less than. Let me be clear, like, what, what I'm talking about are life's hardest moments, and I don't want to be insensitive about that, because that's not like an idea that's your reality right now. You're living it. You feel that. That's not lost on me. But for many of us, that's the moment we're in right now. And we feel lonely. Some of us feel lonely. We're on the cusp of settling for that guy or that girl who we know in the end, they're not going to help us to be who God called us to be. They're not going to help us to grow into the fullness of who God wants us to be. But, and we know that ultimately that relationship will end in flames, but that feels less painful than the lonely moments right now. Like we're willing to do that because of how lonely we feel. Or, or maybe that's not you. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in this marriage right now and your spouse is having a really hard time. And what feels easiest to you is to sort of just emotionally isolate yourself from that person. To disconnect because you just can't anymore. Like you're out of patience. Your patience candle burned out a long time ago. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're, you're just tired of waiting on whatever that thing is. You're just, you're tired of waiting for God to provide and so you think, I, I, I just have to grab life and I have to manipulate things into existence myself. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. Um, about a year ago, we, we were living in a house that we needed to try to sell and move for a bunch of safety reasons. And we listed it and the market was hot and houses were going like in a day. And for some reason, we waited a week too long to list our house. And it sat, and I'm watching houses fly off the market, like unbelievable. And we've waited and we waited and we waited and we're on the market for 45 days. And I'm like, this is like no market, no house has been on the market for 45 days in Denver in years. And I waited and I wrestled God day after day after day because I, I was like, you know what, God, if I'm just honest with you guys, I'm like, screw you, God. You don't care about us. Like, I, I thought you wanted us to do this thing, and now you're leaving us out to dry. We're, we're waiting on you, and you're not showing up. And 45 days is not a long time, by the way. But they were long days. And I kept trying to manipulate things. I kept trying to force things into existence. And you know what? You know how many of those worked? Zero. You know how I felt afterwards? Awful. Now, many of you are waiting for things that are much more important than that. Or hard. The Lord provided a house. It's a house that's great. We moved into it last August and it's been fantastic. But many of you are waiting for harder things than that. You're wrestling with harder things. And I, I, the temptation for a guy up here is for me to tell you, but it, you're going to get the house. But that might not be true. But, but what is true, the thing I can promise you, the thing that was better than the house was God meeting us in the middle of it. The thing that's better in the waiting is that God's there with you. In fact, I, that's better sometimes than the thing itself. In fact, we, we have a, a high priest in Jesus who, 
who knows our weaknesses. He knows the feelings that we feel right now. It says in, in Isaiah 53 that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Many of you are like, I'm that man of sorrows this morning. I'm the one acquainted with grief this morning. It says he was oppressed and afflicted. You, you're like, I feel oppressed right now by X in my life. I, I feel afflicted by this thing. And we fast forward to the New Testament and, and in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest who's far away from us, who doesn't get us, who doesn't know the emotional pain of being separated, who doesn't know the, the pain of waiting. In fact, no, 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 we have a high priest who endured everything that we endured including death in our place on a cross. Yet did it without sin. And if that's true, then the invitation is true for you from verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. God's in the middle of it with us. He's in the waiting with us. And his invitation is not to go figure it out, but he says, actually, like, just ask. I'm here. I, I, wa I want to be with you in the waiting and he says this, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in help, to help us in our time of need. Many of you are in your time of need right now. So if you're in the middle of that right now, the invitation from God is to look to him, approach him boldly, receive mercy and grace in your time of most need. Which is why the author of James again says this, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, when you're in the middle of it. Who finds great joy? I don't know, crazy people. But James says, find it great joy when you're in the middle of it. Why? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, the hard thing you're in right now, produces endurance. And endurance, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. You may be whole and full. There's purpose to the waiting. And Paul says something very similar over in Romans 5. He says, and not only that, but we also boast, rejoice, boast, in our affliction, trial. Because we know that the affliction, the trial, produces endurance. That's exactly what James says. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What many of us are in right now, we're in somewhere in that process. We're in the middle of something that doesn't feel hopeful. But if we continue, if we wait on the Lord in the context of our community, we keep approaching His throne in boldness, what's down the line for that, from that is you becoming someone of proven character, a person of patience. And if that can have its full effect, as James says, then that actually is where your hope comes from, is trusting God in the middle of it. Patience doesn't come from isolating ourselves from the hard things in life. It comes in the middle of them. So I don't know what you came in here with this morning as we move into our time of response. I don't know what you feel like you're in the middle of, but the invitation is to step back from that thing and quit looking at that thing and change your gaze to Jesus. Colossians says, Look to the things that are above, not below, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the invitation is that God will meet us there. Most of us just haven't asked him to. 
And so that's the invitation for us this morning. Anna's going to come in just a second, lead us in our response time. But here's what I would say. She's going to give all the practical instructions. But we have a great prayer team who are trained and ready and eager to pray for you. They've already been praying for you for a couple hours this morning. So they're ready. They're ready to meet you with whatever the thing is that you're carrying in here this morning. And they want to meet you with a lot of grace and a lot of patience and a lot of joy in your hardship and pray for you. And so I, the invitation is to respond. So let me pray for us and then Anna will lead us in that time. Lord, we, we look to you right now and, and we're, most of us are in the middle of something hard. We're in the middle of something heavy. We're in the middle of a big decision or we're in the middle of enduring a stressful season or a lonely season or a, a season that's just been beating up on us. And Lord, we, we, we recognize that the, the truth of Scripture is that you, you want to produce something in us through that, but that's really hard. And so what we need, Lord, is we need you with us. We need your tangible, experiential presence with us. We want to walk by the Spirit and let you produce the thing in us that we need most, which is patience to endure, trusting that you have something better for us on the other side. So would you come and would you help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.